So hello, I'm Liz Fraser and I'm um, a fellow tutor in politics at New College. I took my PPE finals in 1984 and I'm delighted to welcome here to uh, the Manor Road building today Nick Alexander who took his PPE finals in 1976 and Matthew Powell who took his in 2010 and is now studying for the MPhil in Comparative Government. That is correct. And we've come together to talk about how PPE has changed over the decades uh, that since we've um, since we've been engaged in it, I was wondering. I've been thinking recently because I've written a short piece about the difference between teaching PPE when, as it were, I was taught it, and how we now organise teaching in the department these days. And it seems to me that there are two big themes. One is that everything is exactly the same and nothing has changed at all. And, of course, the other big theme is that almost everything has changed because of the technologies that we now use for learning and teaching. So I was wondering if we could begin with that. I mean, Nick, do you think... Because you're in the IT business, right? So you must be very aware of how technologies of learning have changed in the intervening period. I mean, what are your memories of writing essays and researching and producing sure. papers? No, well, I would say so. Uh, we didn't have phones in our rooms. We didn't have no. televisions. Uh, computers didn't really exist, except in, in mainframes in uh, in very large central facilities, which had less computing power than you've got on the telephone these days. Yeah. So, so uh, libraries were were incredibly important uh, in my day, um, and the tutorial was the the absolute uh, linchpin of of, uh, of the teaching and learning experience, and. Uh, Lectures which I've, I've, from what I've, I've heard now become rather more important yeah. were, were a completely optional extra in mm. my day. I was unusual in my, in my year in actually finding a few lectures to go to and I'd usually start um, with half a dozen and perhaps end with one that, uh, that was uh, sufficiently engrossing. Yeah. But, but uh, there was no pressure to, to go to them. And indeed, you know, after about week three, I was probably one of three or four people in the, in the lecture theatre. In the room, I remember being in some very, very select groups <laughs> of you know, audiences for lectures as well. So, did you use a typewriter? No, uh, no. I, um, <laughs> my tutors might... I don't much rather that I did. Right. My writing was abysmal. I did wonder, and indeed my tutors wondered whether I might have to have my finals typed uh, because my writing was so poor. But I actually, I, I, I developed this technique when I found out, which is now of no use to anybody at all, so I can share it with the world. Yeah. That, that uh, when I realised that uh, the average finals paper is five, eight minutes spent marking it, mm. I thought the best way of dealing with this is to make sure that the, the salient points you write neatly, the rest you don't. So as they scan through, they go tick, 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 and it seemed to work reasonably well. <laughs> In those days of the unclassified <laughs> second, it worked fine, and I got the proverbial good second. So right, but, but I, I too wrote all of my essays and wrote my final exams, and I had to practice large handwriting <laughs> for the purposes of legibility. Then when I got on to do my DPhil, I used a typewriter, and then I eventually, when I wrote my final thesis, I used an Amstrad word processor, oh. and I wasn't, I was quite ahead of the curve, yes. I think, 
Um, people were um, word processing their theses by 1987, but many, many, many people were still typing them on various forms of electric electric typewriters. So, Matthew, I mean, well, how are you going to get on? How did you get on when you had to write your final exams? Because that's one thing that occurs to me, that whereas we were very practised in handwriting all the time, now handwriting for right, final right. examinations comes as a complete shock. Of course. Well, I began my PP degree in my first and most of my second year, I wrote all my notes by hand still. So it's not like you, we never wrote anything. Um, but all the, obviously all my essays were typed. Um, and But by the time I got to third year, I actually did all my notes by computer as well. So my entire life, my entire scholarly life was compressed into this laptop. Um, and it is something, I think, when you revise and when you practice for finals, I think it's much more at the forefront of people's minds now, which is not only do I have to, I've got to learn all the material, but I have to actually be ready to write it and it comes with a bit of a shock to some people I think I think if you've written your notes by hand it's not that much of a yeah. shock but I don't know what it was like when when you were studying but now there's a very um, very kind of rigorous process where your tutors do try to identify very early whether you're going to need a type, uh, your finals typed up because it's quite I think it's more common than people realise and I know that, I think isn't there a system where if you do your finals and they can't be read and you haven't already warned them that people won't be able to read your finals. You have there's a fine, or you have to pay for the type for the. Type I list. think you have to pay anyway. Oh really? I believe so. Okay. I mean, some people get dispensation because they're dyslexic or dyspraxic or something, and so have permission to do their exams to begin mm. with on a word processor. And it is my impression as a tutor that that has, and as and as an examiner that that's got more common over the years. The implication is that there are more people for whom the prospect of handwriting or the practice of handwriting is becoming a difficulty. How, how soon technology will be at the state where everybody just has a, a word processor in the exam room? I don't know. I wonder how... I'm, I'm thinking that one of, one of my, my key sort of technique for, for putting my essays together would be that I take all my handwritten notes mm. uh, and, and spread them out on my desk and then gradually kind of make it into an essay plan, ticking off this point and that point. And, and to this day, it may just be that I'm, I'm sufficiently, or well, not sufficiently adept with a computer yet, uh, to be able to go between pages. But I, I, I sort of do need That's what I find is the, my biggest problem with working with a computer, which obviously I, I do all the time yeah. as well, is trying to get all these different bits and coalesce it into, into one thing. Mm. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's also slightly a curse as well, because with a computer, you can write so much more. And so when I'm making notes, when I was doing handwritten notes, I'd find maybe I would have written maybe about, uh, I don't know, maybe seven or eight sides of A4 of notes. And then when it comes, and that, I don't know, that's about 3,000 3, words, something like that. By the time you come to a computer, well, maybe less than even less than that. When you come to a computer, you've, you know, you've gone through your English, you've got your books, and you suddenly realise, I've just typed out 8,000 words of notes, and that's not very helpful yeah. when it comes to condensing yes. it into yes. one and a half, two thousand words. So, yes. it's, yeah. So... I, I suppose one of the issues that is exercising us as teachers at the moment is 
the whole area of study skills and the way in which students are able or not able to assimilate abstract difficult ideas very quickly and to do the amount of reading that's necessary for a degree like PPE where let's face it there is actually a, a kind of quantitative aspect to the degree isn't there part of it is that you do this enormous volume of work and there's a series of questions about well whether school children are as prepared for the volume of work that we ask them to do as they used to be but we could sort of set that one to one side but also whether the kind of techniques that people have of looking things up on the internet finding factoids very very quickly and in a way that you simply couldn't before my, my so well but so I, mean, I, I used to uh, we probably had six to eight books to, to read yeah. for, for each essay and and it was one and a half or two essays a week was the was the uh, workload uh, so there was an enormous amount of, of reading yeah. involved um, and and the <laughs> trying to the equivalent of the internet I tried to do my first international relations paper uh, from Pennell's history of the 20th century right. and uh, because that seemed like it was a, a great distillation and so there are only a few pages to read rather than consulting all of these books and in my finals it was the worst mark I got on, on any paper <laughs> so you know, and I, I have no idea what obviously I have no idea what it's like trying to do this on the internet it didn't it didn't exist in my day yeah. but, uh, but if Pennell's history of the 20th century is anything to go by it's not the best way of getting an in-depth understanding <laughs> no absolutely and that, I mean, I think that there are sort of ups and downs because one thing is that there's that sort of quick way of checking dates, which is that you just Google it and there it is, and you can look at several things in order to make sure that there isn't an error. I would have had to go to the PPE reading room and read the Encyclopedia Britannica, which was just very, very time consuming to get that that basic kind of research, wasn't it? Well, except that that, that sort of, I mean, if you've got the key dates from reading these eight books, you know, I don't know what you've been doing. So, so you really only had to consult your own notes on, on, on Right. That. Okay. I, I, what, how much technology do you use for research? Um, I would say I, I do use an awful lot, but I'm not sure whether that results in me reading different things to what you would have read 10, 20, 30 years yeah. ago, I think it's just far easier to find the same thing. So I think the most obvious example is journal is the issue of finding journal articles. So yeah. it's, I've, I actually had a tutor, um, a Russian politics tutor, who commented that, he said, do you guys ever go to a library to look at journals? Because one of our complaints was, oh, this, art, this, this article's on the reading list. <laughs> we can't find it on Google Scholar or on JSTOR or something like that. And he said, well, go to the library. <laughs> and I think in my entire undergraduate degree, I think I consulted a journal once in a library. Wow. Whereas the right. entire yeah. the entirety of it is, is now on the internet. I think that makes us quite, just sort of take a broader like, philosophical view, I think it makes, makes us um, more impatient in, when studying. So if you can't find a synopsis of an argument or if you don't, get it first time, uh, sometimes there's that kind of knee-jerk reaction to expect to be able to find a synopsis straight away and get frustrated if someone's, something is not there to tell you it. And I, I'm, I guess that in the past you would have had to 
actually synthesize that yourself far more often just because yeah. it wasn't so easily available. I don't know if that's, would you agree? I th- well, that, that sounds very sensible. I mean, the, the trouble is I, I have no idea how things really yeah. work now. I can only remember how they were before. And our frustration was not being able to get because the, you'd get the same key texts. Unfortunately, I was at Christchurch, Christchurch Library is very well stocked. But, you know, if, if you couldn't get it there, I mean, you could spend days mm. trying to find a book and you'd only got a week to write the essay. Mm. So, I mean, that, that was a, a huge frustration, which I guess has sort of gone away now. Yes. I think it really has. One um, thought is the way people use links, because one of the uh, selling points of the internet is that there are these links. So you go to a page and then you're directed to another page, and so there's this great world of learning spread out before you. I'm not sure whether it really is working like that. Certainly one of the points about reading a journal is that you've got a whole range of articles and you'll go and find the article that you have been set to read and then you'll look at, at least, at least your eye will alight upon the other articles that are next door to it in the journal. And I think one question is whether people are becoming more more focused Mm. on the subject and less generalist. I'd absolutely agree, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that I... The fact that we hardly ever consult physical copies of journals yeah. means you actually you do actually lose um, as or you never get the sense of how the article you're reading fits in, you know, whether the journal because yeah. sometimes I mean journals have themes throughout, like yeah. a special issue or something. Sometimes you're reading an article and you've actually got no just by looking at one article, you have no idea that it's part of a six article special issue on topic X. Right. Um, that or indeed using journals as a guide to the cutting edge of the discipline. And yes, by definition. I mean, it wasn't until I did, started really this year that I was um, aware of which journals are better than others and have that kind of meta overview of right. the world of politics in journals. Right. And knowing which is good and which is not worth yes, reading. Yes, I wonder whether that's something that we're going to have to build into our it's kind graduate of like professional, education. professional skills in a way, I suppose. It's part, it's part of what yeah. we will now call professional development. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they got all the buzzwords there. <laughs> in the 1970s. I don't think so. Either. 70s and 80s. Perhaps you didn't need it because you had though you you got some of those skills in, especially in this context, what we're talking about. Yeah. You got them naturally. There, I think yeah. there's a sense Maybe. that browsing in the library and reading a journal would give you, yes, this general sense of the discipline. Mm. Or at least that's a hope. Though again, well, because there, there was an awful lot of reading to be done yeah. in any case, I, I, I don't know how many occasions I thought, well, that was all very interesting. I want to find more now before yeah. <laughs> I get down to this rather than I think sure. I've, I've suggested those eight books. That's enough. <laughs> Yeah, no, and certainly, the, you know, time means yeah, that you, should, you've got to get on and get this out. Yeah, we shouldn't be overly negative about how students of today use technology. Yeah, I mean, I actually hard. made quite a few negative points, but I think the massive positive is, like you say, it's such a time saver. Yeah, I've never, you know, you just don't spend the time I'm mm. getting the impression that you used to spend just searching for stuff oh, or not being able to access yes. it. Or, yes, I mean, um, you could spend hours yeah. waiting for a book. Yeah, and if you really are... Uh, it, you have a specific thing you want to look at, say if you're doing a thesis, mm-hmm. it's very, it's much easier, I think, to find what you want because you do have keyword searches you can easily get from one thing to another. So starting my thesis at the moment, it's I, I find it really easy to 
um, get the, the right kind of articles and the right kind of information. I absolutely agree about that. I think that my research methods, such as they are, have changed so dramatically over the last 15 years. It's extraordinary. And the ability to find the basic set of journal articles on a topic whereas you used to have to just take them down from the shelf one by one mm. and plod through mm -hmm. them in yes. the library. It's amazing. It's absolutely astonishing how quickly you can find things. Can we turn to um, an issue which is an abiding source of anxiety in PPE about how the three subjects actually relate to each other? And I think it's fair to say that we're going through a bit of a moral panic about this again <laughs> at the moment. Um, because economics in particular has become a much more technical subject and there's a kind of sense that PPE isn't the right context for uh, an adequate economic education and so on. So there's a debate going on at the moment. But on the other hand, I remember people wondering why there weren't more why there weren't more papers that overlapped and why there wasn't more integration and how it was that people were <coughs> using the disciplines to talk to each other when I came to do it. So, I mean, what was your memory? Yes. Did, did you have PPE? Was PPE a, an integrated um, subject? You you were able to drop yes, one, so weren't I, you? Yes, I dropped philosophy at the uh, end of my first year. Right. Um, but but I, I actually... I For some people think that that was when the rot set in, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the good old days are the days when everybody had to do all Every three. Yes. I didn't know. realise there was... And there's, there's a bit of talk now about bringing it back. Really? I mean, I, I, I really... I, so I, I found philosophy quite, quite difficult and I, I felt that uh, I didn't, I felt my, my mind wasn't big enough to, to really deal with the intricacies of it. Uh, or, or else that um, a lot of it really hung on linguistics and was very frustrating. And I think if I'd, if I'd been more, I felt if I had a bigger brain, I might have understood uh, more of the intricacies of that. But, but um, uh, I, I, I liked the fact that then I could choose four of my eight final papers. Yeah. Uh, so they gave you quite a lot of, of choice in your yeah. options, yeah. Uh, and I found I found that very positive indeed. Okay. And, and did you specialise in Nick? Uh, so I did politics and, and economics. Yeah, and I did industrial relations. a long time, thirty-five years ago. Uh, industrial relations and a, a sociology introduction to sociology paper, which, right. which was quite avant-garde at the time. Uh, <laughs> and for politics, I did international relations one, which was basically between the two wars, and two, which which actually was the one I enjoyed most of, of all the papers, which from 45 onwards, because particularly then so little of the information was actually in the public domain, right. and you really, you could speculate wildly, <laughs> and if you, I, I, uh, Jonathan Wright was my, my uh, tutor for, for that paper, and, and I, I remember uh, writing an essay that, that argued that America was completely up to speed before the building of the Berlin Wall, and indeed it, you know, it suited them very well uh, for it to be built too. And, and nobody could, you couldn't prove it one way or the other, but, but you know, it was a wonderful opportunity to mount an argument 
uh, the, the, you know, with the evidence that was available. But I, I, I felt that, that actually uh, they did all fit quite well together and that I, I, I kind of, as I got to, to my finals, even though I, I haven't continued with philosophy, but the early bits I thought was, were, were, quite, were quite useful sure. and relevant. But actually, I, I came away thinking I'm really glad I did that, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and you know, I, I would have uh, right. advocated that lots of other other people do the same thing. Right, and the economics integrated with the politics. It did, and, and, but, but I said econometrics were really just starting to, yeah. to get going. And I, I had done, a, I did a maths A level, uh, but, but I kind of didn't agree with econometrics. <laughs> I, I thought trying to model people's behaviour, uh, you know, that, that they will constantly adapt to it, and you know, that I guess has been uh, a great issue uh, subsequently. And, and at school, uh, there was Myself and chap Charles Keating, who, who was at some cats just around the corner, uh, were the you know we were the kind of the, the, the star economists at school, and he very much went down the econometrics line and has had a career in as, as an economist nice. ever since. Yes. Uh, so he would have a totally different view. But I steered clear of the of the math side, and 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 I just and it would have needed a little bit of math for for logic part of the philosophy sure. papers sure. as well. But um, I, I, I I I didn't have a great deal of empathy with that, and and, it, and, and you could get by without really uh, getting engaging with the econometrics at all in those days. Yes, I, I think that's really, really interesting. The question as to what mathematical modelling actually is doing is one that perhaps ought to be discussed much more within the context of PPE than we actually manage to do. And one of the papers that might be a bridge paper is the philosophy of the social sciences, of course, which is one of the things that gives you the opportunity to ask that question. But it isn't compulsory and it's not even particularly central. Yeah. What about you, Matthew? How do you um, think? How, how's PPE doing? Well, just being my own my own experiences. I, I also did econ- uh, philosophy and did econometrics and the new game theory paper right. within economics. Right. Um, but always actually with a view. Uh, I think by the time I'd chosen those papers, I knew I wanted to um, carry on doing some kind of political science things. Always with a view to learning them as techniques to use in political science because so much of it these days, political science is just ever more quantitative, um, it's becoming more formal just like economics. Mm-hmm. So that integrated, they actually integrated really well but from a methodological point of view rather than a, a content point of view if that, that makes sense. Right. Um, but broadly I, I don't, there is no, there's no conscious effort in PPE to actually bring everything together. And that's, I, I remember when I was applying back in 2007, to, before then, um, other universities that offer PPE actually try to make it a selling point that uh, in your third year you will get to do this paper uh, which covers philosophy, politics and economics and they, they almost they forcibly bring it together. Um, and I can't, I can't see Oxford doing that, it's a very, uh, it's not very PPE or very, indeed very Oxford to actually to force things together to try and create something it's almost it would be left to the it seems I know this is very traditional but it seems like they it seems like something that you wouldn't you'd leave students to bring those strands together themselves it's just it's a tension in the concept of interdisciplinarity isn't it because it can mean two things it's ambiguous on the one hand it can mean leaving the disciplines as they are and just having as it were some kind of juxtaposition between them Mm. but each discipline goes on 
on its own trajectory, yeah. and that's definitely the route that Oxford has taken. Yeah. And partly that's because of the research selectivity process on which departmental funding now depends. So we all have to be, as it were, purists in our disciplines. Mm. Then the other idea is that you really do have interdisciplinary papers and subjects that mean that you, in some sense, move away from that idea of the pure discipline, and that's the route that we just find yeah. it very difficult to go down. And it seems that this, listen to your description of the structure of your course, it really hasn't changed no. in terms of structurally. I think, yeah. Whereas I can imagine that in if in a lot of places it would have it would have changed from that because it, the current PP course really doesn't seem to fit with a lot of the kind of modern learning ob- objectives in a way. The things that are relatively new and right. like to bring in. Well, I'm thinking about. Um, you know, make just interdisciplinary things. So making links across and different different things you've learned. It's very a thing you very encouraged to do in school, I think. Absolutely. But it doesn't actually. It doesn't. It kind of stops here. In the, right. You, it was a conscious effort to make you do that. I think suddenly stops. I don't think uh, it's it's subjective whether that's a good or a bad thing. But I think it's certainly true. It, I mean, one strength of our system, if we could call it a system as opposed to an accident, but one strength of our set state of affairs is that, I mean, you can do it for yourself. So I chose social theory. So I did philosophy of the social sciences, sociological theory, political theory, and I made a coherent intellectual yes. project for myself, which I then took forward. It's never forced on you, is it? Doctor, so, yeah. Absolutely, completely and totally up to me. And if you want to specialise in the Cold War, <coughs> you can specialise in the right. Cold War, yes. can't you? And, yes. you know, you can put together your own package. Mm. Now, I mean, that might be thought to be a real selling point of the degree mm. because students have this amazing set of resources to use. That's true. I mean, I, I, I think that one of my surprises in, in arriving at a university was the the degree to we I, I thought we would be doing research. I don't know. I came but <laughs> right from as an undergraduate in a way, and 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 the fact that I, I was at Westminster, which is you know, probably in those days was was more like a university than, than a lot of schools were, and and I, I was then expected to kind of you know, take a step forward from there, and found. Uh, that, that actually everything was still quite laid out and structured and, yes. and strict. And, and, and I think a, a degree other than PPE, I, I might have found actually quite hard. So the fact that you could pick the bits that, that interested you and, and kind of you know, build up your, with, particularly with four uh, option papers that, mm. that you could take. So you, you, you could structure your, your interest and mm. pursue a, a specialisation of some sort. I thought it was a very good thing. Um, but but uh, you know, I can see in other contexts that might not work so well. Yeah. One thought, I mean, you, what you're saying about ex- half expecting that you were going to be doing research as an undergraduate is interesting because, of course, in some degree courses, again, there is a conscious effort to emphasise that and to, with compulsory research papers, compulsory theses, compulsory dissertations, and so on. So the history. Uh, school here, yes. you have to do a thesis. Right. So yeah. I think that probably then undergraduates do get more of a sense yes. of joining in yes. that academic 
Is there a reason that why PP doesn't doesn't do that? that? Historical reasons. I think there are loads and loads of practical reasons, and the difficulty of actually coordinating supervision and so on. But they're not perhaps particularly meritorious reasons. But with PPE, you've got to do a lot of a, a diverse number of different skills. Anyway, the thing about doing history papers is that it's basically reading and essay writing yes. and you do that eight times so you've got to yes. make them do something yes. different yes. whereas PPEs have to do logic, maths uh, or formal analysis, writing you know, uh, across a variety of genres anyway so it's a very diverse well, I don't know whether you think that's at all a I'm good argument <laughs> <laughs> so one of the um, one of the strengths of Oxford Allegedly, yes, yes. is this fact that when you come here, you enter into a process of learning rather than being taught yes, as such. Yes. And again, there's a bit of a myth and a bit of truth here. But I mean, compared to young people that you know who've gone through higher education, Nick, recently, oh. I mean, is your sense that in my day, you know, we educated ourselves, whereas um, now they have it? Well, I know I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think we educated ourselves. I think one of the one of the good things about Westminster was that actually it was it was much more you know, educo was I was is the leading out, not the stuffing in. Yes. Um, and and I, and I think that that certainly at school, you know, if you if you didn't want to write your essays, you didn't do it. You know, and the teachers and in those days, it's obviously much more of an academic hothouse than now. But but actually, it's like you know, they'd say to us, your parents pay the fees. You know, if you don't want to do it. I think I can't be bothered with you. And actually, for most of us, that was incredibly motivating. Right. And we did when we got on. We worked very hard and enjoyed it enormously. So, so the then coming to, to universities, I was saying I was I was expecting the change to be more. Well, now we're going to start to discover things for ourselves, right. rather than it's a continuation of the same process. So I certainly think it's a it's a place where where you, you learn rather than a, a kind of drilled and, and educated. Though I think the mental disciplines that that uh, one one is is given and, and assisted with how to put an argument together and all those sorts of things are things that, that you need to be taught uh, and then you can apply. Mm, yeah. And we have an anxiety that nowadays students are taught too much, they're given revision classes and crib sheets and lecture outlines and a massive amount of input which tells them how basically to get 65. Mm. You know, and 65 is the minimum right. mark that's, as it were, acceptable, and we do that. I mean, what's your feeling I, about it? I have, I, actually, I have quite a strong opinion on this because um, having just moved to being a graduate student, you suddenly, you're mixing with people who've come from all different types of universities right. around the world, so you actually get a bit of a perspective on this. And I, despite the changes you've just described, so you know, much more formal reading lists and the lectures, and so there is more, sounds like there's more teaching rather going on in Oxford than there was in the 30 four, years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. I still think that oh, it is predominantly learning. Yeah. Um, even with the lecture lists and reading lists, you still are writing your own essay. You're still writing your own essays. You're, there's still the tutorial system, and that's, you know, there's no sign of that going away. Um, and so there's still very much the environment where there's n you, you, you cannot turn up to anything um, and expect to just have knowledge imparted to you 
and then re regurgitate it. And even even though more people now attend lectures, um, it's still not it's not a substitute for the learning and reading on your own. Yeah. I mean, I think the the change is relatively minor, which is that you you know you, you're given a reading list, so you know what you have to read. You still have to make of make your own conclusions from um, from what you read. And the, and just as I was saying, I don't want to talk too much about the master's degree because we're here to talk about PPE, but can, people from other universities I've talked to are actually quite shocked when they come here because they're actually saying, "What? There's no no one's teaching me. What's going on?" Right. And it's very it's very different to um, to try and make the point without sounding slightly snobbish, but saying that that doesn't happen here. You know, it just doesn't. You cannot expect that. And I think that's is still a major difference. Um, both, you know, I guess right. internationally. Yeah, and that, and that is very interesting because, from our point of mm. view, there is much more input now than there yeah. than there ever was. And in a sense, it was my generation of teacher in the night who came into teaching in the eighties and nineties who. I have to say under pressure from outside because we began to have formal inspection of teaching in universities and again the university's income depended on our being rated very highly and so on and um, we did just um, take a series of very conscious efforts that input had to be spelled out and couldn't be left opaque or implicit, um, that you had to be explicit about telling people what they had to do to succeed and so and, and, forth. Whereas and, I was in a fog throughout <laughs> doing PPE. I had no idea what I had to do, really. I, I yes. enjoyed doing what I did, but it was very, very difficult to get a handle on it. I, I certainly struggled at the, at the beginning to understand what was required in yeah. essay and, and, and dismally failed in my first term and, you know, and, and then kind of worked it out. That's still a complaint though, it's still people still yeah. say, I know, you know, I know, maybe I know what I have to do to get 65, but where, where is this mythical sign? How do you get a sign? Yeah, yeah. And there's still, there's, that's still a complaint. Sorry. But, but, no, not still thinking. I, but, but I also think that perhaps there was far less pressure to do well academically. And if it was more, you know, the taking part than the winning that mattered. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I, but, but that, it, it, it really wasn't quite as important. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it must, it must, uh, increase the pressure on on the, the tutors to, to try and make sure that you get the 65. Uh, that was a kind of unheard of concept in, <laughs> in my time. And everything was graded with bizarre alphas, alphas. and betas alphas and gammas, and, and you get yeah. you know, a string of letters. And then, well, is that better than this string? So it's it yeah. very hard to tell. No, that's right. Al uh, 65 is about beta alpha. And it seemed to me that, you know, so I, yeah, I, I was at school in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, came up in 73, and, and the world was quite a different place. And it, and it seemed to us at the time that the people who, who came up in 74 were a different breed and were much more concerned about what what the outcome, what they what their they job would be at the at the end of this, you know, rather than well here I am, you know, isn't it exciting to be here and, and you'd be fully involved with drama or sports or wherever your your interests lay. And actually that was every bit as important as, as the academic bits. That's very interesting. I mean is that to do with, you know, the developing economic crises of the seventies what 
Well, I think, I, I, I think it, that there was, you know, in fact, that the, the, <coughs> people thought, so yes, and, and all sorts of economic crises. So I, I think it probably did have to do with, with all of that. Yeah. But also a kind of reaction to the slightly hippie-ish bit before. Um, sure. And I remember uh, the term before I came up to Christchurch, there had been a, uh, everyone had refused to sit down for dinner in hall because Porter, the, 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 the <laughs> scouts had come in. Well, the scouts had come into, into rooms and found there were women in rooms which thought, you know, and this was, so it was all a bit kind of revolutionist and uh, we had those the, the exam school sit-in my, my, uh, my right. first term uh, so, so I think that, that, well, that was, we were probably at the end of, of that era and actually the people coming in behind us were slightly more serious and kind of thinking well what, what's this going to do for me and where, where's it going to take me yeah. but, and of course that worry about instrumentalism in education is something that is constantly voiced by teachers and tutors and researchers and others who right. think that it's, it should be education for education's sake and there's something really worrying about the student who only wants to know if this is necessary for sure. the exam or have I got to study this for the finals and so on and we all get driven mad by that question. The truth is that probably it goes up and down. There's probably a, yes, I'm sure. a bit of an oscillation rather than a progressive, constant rise of the instrumentalist. But did you have a sense that your year were very instrumentalist about? Um, I think, I mean, like you say, perhaps it does oscillate, but I think mine, certainly my, the generation is, seemed, is very instrumentalist when it comes to education. Um, like so many things at university, I think a lot of it is a product of the school system. Because yes. the school system, the school is certainly instrumentalist to the extreme. Yes. Um, you come here, it is a lot less instrumentalist, but but there's still that element, I think. Um, um, but I think it, it, I mean it's a difficult question to ask your tutor, say if you're doing philosophy, say do I need to know this exam? Because it's very it's difficult to pinpoint things that you have to do, you know, regurgitate or that you can get you an easy mark. But in things like economics, in mathematical subjects, it's a lot easier to ask that question and get an answer. Yes. Um, sure. So it's, it's partly dependent on the nature of the subject, I think. I think that that's probably, that's probably mm. true, yes, and that we mustn't exaggerate this instrumentalism, because there are lots and lots and lots of people who... I was in the lower camera yesterday afternoon, it was absolutely packed, partly because Bodley is being reorganised in a very shortage of waiting room. <laughs> there were very, very few places to sit, right. and it was packed with you know, undergraduates reading books for their finals, which looked very, very much like it looked when I first when I first came here. So on this topic, I just wanted to ask, because um, you mentioned in your article about the almost disappearance <laughs> of the lower second. Mm. Um, I remember when I was revising for finals, being the diligent student I was reading the examiner's reports from a previous year. <laughs> they even used to do that. <laughs> I wish I had. That sounds very smart. And the external examiner, it was an examiner from a Reading University, I think, who said who said that this thought that it was a problem, mm. saying that only, you know, the year that um, he or she had been the external examiner, there were only two or three percent of people got a lower second, whereas mm. at at their university, there was a not because there's any difference in standard, but this, there was a conscious effort. You know, you, the twenty percent of people were given 
lower seconds, and that's doesn't that doesn't happen here at all now. I mean, or does well, it? we <laughs> is it mark to? to a norm. I mean, if the implication is that in some sense we're pulling people up, I think that that really is a trip my experience of examining is that you're asked to mark to a curve and if you don't mark to the curve you have to explain why and quite often the explanation on especially the option papers is that there were no weak scripts and frequently the examiner's report says there were no weak scripts hmm. Um, and that is the truth of Probably the matter. Probably is isn't it? <laughs> That's the trouble. It's, partly it's this instrumentalism. People work really hard. Partly it's because we tell them how to do it. And we take the two one as the norm. And in my own college, for example, as I'm sure at Christchurch and Hartford, um, if you're not working consistently to a two one standard, you're in danger of being getting a warning. Right. Well, yeah. I'm, 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 yes, I'm, I'm sure that's right these days. It certainly so wasn't in the old days. Almost have burnt the college down. We know you're all right. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> as long as you can pay for it, it'd be okay as well. <laughs> and I think the other thing is that you know our intake are very, very, very high. We have a, a basic um, intake of. AAA or its equivalent higher than that and the University of Reading obviously is is a good strong university with um, a kind of you know some of the similar similar echelon I mean perhaps they've got I'm sure they've got courses where the requirement is AAA but they don't have such an enormous universe of candidates to choose from Basically, we, no, no. we and Cambridge choose from yeah. the top, the top two percent, and are much more rigorous in, in choosing the brightest rather than the more interesting. Um, now, I, 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 I so my, my observation that is, is that true. I, I, I feel that, that what the university is losing is the eccentrics, and you know, and maybe at Christchurch, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> we specialised in, in those, <laughs> uh, and it was, it was a very interesting place to be, and. And actually, I, I think it gave one a, a <coughs> good uh, introduction to, to life to as life. it is, rather than to being a very, very clever person. I mean, I don't, you see, I don't think schools are sending us eccentrics to choose from, and that has certainly changed in well, my probably, time. Probably a few eccentrics allowed to develop at school as well. <laughs> you know, but, but were, you, oh, were there eccentrics in your year at St Anne's? No. 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 Uh, no. We all thought we were very normal. Dutiful, normal, hard working, mm. focused. <laughs> I think you're right. When I came, there were people who were absolutely hostile to the university in particular and higher education in general. And you did think, what are you doing here? But they were quite common. Um, there were people who were. Politics was much more extreme. I mean, the British, British political culture had a much wider set of options. I was a sort of radical feminist of an incredibly uncompromising sort, <laughs> and I did not like this patriarchal institution, really. There were aspects of it that I didn't like one bit, and I made my feelings plain. Excellent. I don't have any yeah. sense these days that there are people who mm. are kind of in yes. your face Pushing saying yes. this is yes. not okay. Everybody seems terribly pleased to be here. <laughs>
I think you should nail on the head. Really, I think that's true. Um, there was no, there was no sense that anyone had an, a, you know, an agenda or the, anything like that. No, and very, very little criticism of the education system as such, right, right. and what you're being taught. Whereas I, my generation, were up in arms yeah. about racism and sexism and reaction and a refu- you know, a series of refusals to hear new voices and so on. That was part of the intellectual yes. the intellectual friction. And there was a good deal of friction was my yes. sense. I yes. Well I, I think that, that certainly that's certainly very very true in, in uh in my generation as well. <laughs> JCR meetings were constantly there was <laughs> about you know, passing votes of uh, support for strange revolutionary groups around the world that so lots of us have have never heard of. Uh, and I think the JC Joint Consultative Committees were, were set up uh, during my time. I, I've served on, on one actually with Tony Blair as, uh, as the year above me. And, and so I mean, we, there was certainly challenging of the uh, of the structure of, of the, the tuition and you know, yeah. how the exams should be structured as well. Yeah. Um, so that the, I mean, I, but I, I think that we were of a generation that, that was kind of you know trying to push in in Try every direction just to. I mean, always to see where where you could. (laughs) And changing the world meant changing social institutions. So a lot of the social institutions that you had access to were the educational institutions. So they were by no means sort of taken for granted. And it does seem that that has changed. Certainly, since I've been here, the the most um, political things of students have become is this year with cuts to education. Well, here we are. (laughs) We're poised. You know, coming up to the um, centenary of PPE, coming up to a massive change in the entire meaning of higher education, and I think we all just simply don't know what the this new generation is going to demand. But they, I mean, it does look as though they're going to be more like consumers than like as it were, revolutionaries. It does, <laughs> does sound as though that's already where it is, though, and that may, may not be very much of a change. No, no, I think that that might be true. Well, we've talked about <laughs> 30 years of PPE. Um, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.